Okay, at this time, I'd like to go ahead and dismiss the children to Children's Church. You can follow Miss Sarah back over there. That'd be fantastic. Uh, last week, we began looking at this uh, passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21 through chapter 4, verse 7, and we're going to go back there this week. But I want to start out with uh, a very practical exercise in imagination, okay? I want you to imagine that you are the kind of person who does not seek honor. You don't lust for recognition, but you're not afraid of it. You don't run to it, but you don't run away from it. I want you to also imagine that you are the kind of person who takes criticism perfectly. It doesn't... Somebody's laughing. I'm sorry. Is that, is that not applying? Did your spouse just criticize you implicitly over there? Yes. And just imagine you're the kind of person that when you're criticized, you're not crushed by it. Uh, you actually grow from it. You are, you are not your actions and successes. You are not your shortcomings and your failures. And so, You don't seek after honor more than you seek after criticism. You don't seek after criticism less than you seek after honor. It's just when it comes, you handle it appropriately because it really is not about you. And you just want to grow and you want to help. And you're focused on other people and above all else, God. Let's just imagine you're also the kind of person that when you walk by the mirror... You don't stand there and stare in wide-eyed wonder. And you don't cringe either. It's just you. And let's also just sort of imagine that if you're running a race and you get the silver medal in the Olympics, you're just as happy for the person who got the gold. You were just happy you set a personal record. You were thrilled to have been there. But you actually literally rejoice with the other person who rejoices. But you also mourn for those who mourn with equal capacity. You feel for those that you beat as much as you feel for the one who beat you. Because it's not really about you at all. The romance in your life, it's not about you. It's about the other person. The, the people in your life are not there for you to serve so that your resume looks better because life doesn't revolve around you. You just serve to serve. You just love to love. The, the people that God gives you, you enjoy for who they are and that's it. And the things that you have, you just enjoy because they're beautiful gifts from God. You're at peace. You're free. Now, How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you say, I I want to be that kind of person? That's what I want for myself. Now let me ask you another question. Do you want to be married to that kind of person? Do you want to have a parent like that? A child like that? Do you want to have an employer like that? Or an employee like that? Do you want a friend in your life that's just like that? I think all of us say, absolutely. And uh, most of us don't know people like that. We might know a few. 
You know how people like that are created? It's only through the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want to show you that. That the gospel doesn't just have implications for, well, one day we're going to die and we're going to be judged and we're going to go to heaven. That's true. There is an eternity and there is a reckoning for all of us. We will stand before the Lord to be judged. And if you do not stand in Christ, you will not stand in the judgment. This is true. But Jesus elsewhere defined eternal life like this, to know, to know God, to know the Father. And when, the, and when God comes into your life because of the grace of Jesus Christ, and you know eternal life, not just in the here and after, but the here and now, when you know eternal life, it changes you fundamentally. It's the power of the gospel. And this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in this particular passage. Let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word. The text is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, starting with verse 21 through chapter 4, verse 7. Paul writes, So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And now he's talked about the nature of his ministry and and here's the, the power. Here's where it overflows from. And I want you to pay attention to these next two verses really closely. Paul says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that You may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? May God bless you. His word, you may be seated. Now, I want to review real quickly from last week. If you didn't listen to last week's message, I would just say, really, go back and listen to it. But let me just catch you up a little bit. We saw last week that the word that gets translated as pride in 1 Corinthians, six times he's using this word that's unique. Uh, It's it's a set-apart kind of a word. He uses it once over in Colossians. He doesn't use the word anywhere else. No other uh, author in the New Testament uses it anywhere else. It's this word that the King James translates as puffed up. You might remember over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's this place where it says love is not jealous, it does not boast, it is not proud, or some translations, it is not arrogant, the King James, it is not puffed up. It is a word that literally means to be swollen, to be overextended or overinflated. And when you think about the word that Paul uses here with regards to pride, you learn four things with regards to the fallen or natural state of the human ego. The first is this, there's emptiness, okay? There's a God-shaped hole inside of your heart, inside of your soul, like there is in mine, and only God can fill it. And only God can fill it substantially with the weight of his glory that exceeds concrete. 
you put anything else in that hole, it's going to rattle around in there. There's going to be emptiness. That's the first thing we know about the fallen state of the self. There's emptiness, but also there's pain. It's painful. You probably have recognized that you don't recognize parts of your body when they're healthy, but if it's swollen, if you have a headache and it's inflamed or you've sprained your ankle, you notice your ankle because it's swollen, it's overextended. And so you wonder if people are always calling attention to themselves or if you're always thinking about, I just got so offended or they left me out or I got overlooked and... or what, what does that indicate? You've got a swollen soul. You're inflamed. It's, your ego's not healthy if you're always thinking about yourself. In light of the fact that the fallen ego is empty and in pain, it does things to fill up the pain or to lessen the, or to, to fill up the emptiness and lessen the pain. And the two things that it does is it just, it gets busy comparing and it gets busy Boasting, Because in the comparison of the boasting, the person is comparing their emptiness or their pain to somebody else's. And if your pain is less than somebody else's, you feel better about yourself. I mean, have you ever enjoyed watching somebody else fall down the stairs? Yeah, okay. okay, there's one. That's really disturbing. That's our children's minister over there. That's okay. We'll repent later. But I'm going to point you out right now. Anyways... You know what it is. You, you know, you see somebody else in pain. Oh, I, I feel a little bit better. And Or if you boast and you, you, pick, you, you say, look, I'm just as good as you or I have, I'm in the same club. You're trying to get affirmed by other people. Getting affirmed by other people or comparing yourself to other people helps you feel a little less empty or a little less pain-filled. It's kind of interesting that over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it does say love, the more excellent way. Love is not jealous, the comparison. Love does not boast. And then it says love is not puffed up. Those things all go together. And then, number four, the soul is the fallen state of the ego, the fallen state of the self. It, it's fragile. It's, it's only puffed up by air, and when it's inflated or deflated, it's all part of the same continuum. There's a fragility that if you don't have something solid at the center of you, you will just tear like a balloon or you'll crumble like an empty box. That's what we talked about last week, and we drew some other conclusions, but we're going to move forward from here. Because the Apostle Paul in verses 1 and 2, he says, okay, I'm doing ministry. Let me tell you, you know, this is, I'm going after it. I'm going to get things done. And he's also, of course, drawing attention to the fact that people are comparing Paul to Apollos or they're saying, I'm of Paul's group or I'm of Apollos' group. And they're taking pride in their particular groupings, okay, or their affiliations. And they just can't enjoy who they are for who they are. They can't enjoy Paul for who he is. And there's this pride and there's this division and there's the boasting and then there's the the comparing and all this stuff. And Paul says, look, let me give you the secret at the center of me doing ministry effectively. And that's what brings us to verses 3 and 4, where Paul talks about his view of the self or his particular take on self-regard, especially as it's transformed by the gospel. He says to them, look, I care very little about how you judge me, and I, very, I care very little about being judged by any human court. Okay, so what's going on here? Paul's saying, I don't care what you think. I don't care what anybody else thinks. Now you would say, well, that sounds like, that sounds like he's certainly not suffering from low self-esteem. I don't care about your judgments. I don't care about anybody else's judgments. That sounds like he's not suffering from low self-esteem, doesn't it? And, and, then, and then the question is, how do you account for that? How do, how do you account for that, that his identity is not tied in particular to anybody else's judgments or standards or evaluations? Now, here's how most people will account for it. 
most people, armchair psychologists, amateur counselors, uh, people who watch daytime television, they're all going to say, look, I know why he doesn't have a low self-esteem. It's because he thinks highly of himself. He's got a high self-esteem. He's just, he's just doing what we're encouraged to do, which is don't care about what anybody else thinks. You just care about you, what you think. You set your own standards. You live up to your own evaluations. And, uh, and if you're happy with you, well, that's all that matters. You just do you. You just be you because you are perfectly fine like you are. And if you just evaluate yourself, fine. If you're just happy with yourself, that's all that matters. You don't need to care about anybody else. See, the way the world works is if you don't have low self-esteem in some respect or another, it's because you've got high self-esteem. And, and, and now the way it is is the high self-esteem comes largely from disregarding everybody else's standards because if you disregard everybody else's standards, you can live up to your own. And my question with that in general is, okay, is that working for you? Y'all ever watch, you know, how many of y'all are ever on Twitter? I'm just kind of curious. Is there any, am I the only one? Okay, some of us on Twitter, you watch social media. You ever see these people and they go, I don't care what you think about me. Like, you know, it really seems like you do. You know, I don't care what my parents say. It seems like you do. Does it really work? Oh, I don't care about society's standards. I don't, I don't care about what my parents think. Really? That's developmentally how you came to care about anything. It started with your parents. Oh, I don't care what my parents think. That's how you cared about anything in the first place. That doesn't even work, okay? But let's just suppose that's the way that it works. Is that what the Apostle Paul is doing? I don't care about your opinions. I don't care about your judgments. I don't care about anybody else's judgments with me. So how does Paul come to this place where he's not in low self-esteem? Does he have high self-esteem? Does he say, I don't care about anybody else's standards. I'm just going to do me? No, that's not how Paul does it at all. Paul says, look, you know, I care very little about how you judge me. I care very little about any uh, judgments from any other human court. But he also says, I don't even judge myself. I don't even, I have a low opinion of the opinion of others, but I also have a low opinion of my opinion. Like what? What's Paul doing? He's completely off the map. He's off the grid. He's operating in a whole other way. He doesn't fall into the trap of thinking, well, if I think okay of myself, then everything's okay. If my conscience is clear, well, then I'm justified. No, you're not. People can have hard hearts. It's possible that Hitler had a clear conscience. It's possible that Jeffrey Dahmer had a clear conscience. It's possible people do all kinds of terrible things and their conscience is clear and they feel good about doing them and they're absolutely wrong and they're absolutely in danger of judgment. Just because you feel good about it doesn't mean that you're clear. That you're justified. That's the word that Paul uses. Just because my conscience is clear, that doesn't mean I'm innocent. And the word that he uses there is justified. So what's going on here? Here's what's happening. Paul is not, he's not suffering from low self-esteem, but he's not suffering from high self-esteem either. Because nothing under the sun, nothing in this world is going to be casting a verdict in his favor or against his favor. He's off the map. He's playing another game. He's in another world. I have a low opinion of your opinion. I have a low opinion of my opinion. 
my, the verdict on my life, the judgment over me, whether positive or negative, it doesn't come from me, it doesn't come from you, so where does it come from? He says, well, the Lord judges. Now, again, people, if you don't have the Lord, if you don't have the gospel, here's how it works. People say, I just can't understand that at all. Because if I were like Paul, and if I thought about myself the way Paul thought about himself, I don't think I could handle it. Because here's what Paul says about himself elsewhere. Here's Paul's judgment of himself. Over in 1 Timothy, he says, the Lord's, you know, God sent a Savior into the world. He came into the world to save sinners, of which I'm the chief. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. Not I was the chief of sinners. I am the chief of sinners. Paul said also, whatever was to his credit, he now counts present tense in his life. He now counts as filthy rags, as garbage, as refuse. The good things that he once found commendable, he now recognizes not only are they not commendable, but they're damnable. That's how he feels about the good things that it was to his credit. And that's how he feels about himself, chief of sinners. And you say, well, how in the world could I possibly disregard the judgments of other people and my own judgments about myself as I'm not that great of a person? My righteousness is filthy rice. I'm just the chief of sinners. How in the world could you possibly be one of the most influential people in the history of the world and live with absolute confidence and absolute joy and absolute balance and absolute ballast and strength in your life. How could, how is that possible? If you cut out the opinions of everybody, the verdicts of everybody, here's how it's the good news. It's the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is the verdict is done. The gospel is you don't perform in order to get the good verdict. The verdict is spoken over you, and then you perform in light of the verdict. Let me go at it like this. In, in every world system, every philosophy, every fleshly impulse, every world religion, it's always performance leads to the verdict. Whether you're a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Muslim or a 20, 20th century GI generation Judeo-Christian value American, here's how it works. If I'm a good person, I do the good things, I perform well enough, then hopefully the verdict is going to be spoken over me that I'm a good person. If I do good, I'm waiting for the verdict that I'm good. If I obey the rules, I'm waiting for the verdict that I'm in, whatever in may mean to, to, to you or your particular worldview. All of the different games are slightly different. There's different moving pieces and there's different rules. But all the games in this world under the sun are essentially the same. Perform, 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 and then there's going to be a verdict. And when you're on trial every day, like some people feel that they are, on some days you feel like you're winning and some days you feel like you're losing. Every day, because of what we do, because of what we say, we feel like we're stamping evidence against us that will be used by the prosecutor and then we're stamping evidence that will be used by uh, the, the, the defense 
And some days we're ahead, some days we're behind, but we're always on trial. And that's why Paul says, I care very little about your judgment of me or any human court. What's he talking about? He's not literally in front of a court. There's the court of life. There's the court of your own soul. There's the court of your peers. There's the court of your family. Every day, it's performance hoping for the appropriate verdict. And that will exhaust you because you'll be judging yourself. How are you doing, whether it's your own standards or somebody else's? And you don't really solve your standards problem by rejecting other standards that you once held to. And let me tell you why that doesn't work. If you reject standards that you once accepted, why is that? Because you weren't performing well. You know you weren't meeting the expectations of others. So what does that mean? I lowered my standards. So if your claim to fame is, I have the lowest standards of anybody, is that really something in which you can boast or feel good about? Really? It doesn't work. Always on trial, always awaiting the verdict. What Paul is saying is this. I know that I sinned. I know that I fail. I know that I fall short. I know that I'm not like Jesus. But just because I've lost for the day... That doesn't mean I am a loser. I've lost, so I am a loser. Or, I did good, so I'm a winner. I achieved, so I'm an overcomer. I fell short, so I'm bad. What Paul is arguing for is that we just get rid of the so I am Because there's not a connection between this and this. The verdict's already been spoken over you. Like, what do you mean? Here's the gospel. Jesus came, lived the life you should have lived, died the death you should have died. Jesus endured a mockery of a trial. Kangaroo court. He was led like a a sheep to the slaughter. He was sheared as a dumb sheep before his shears. And he endured all of the humiliation and the pain and the death. Why? Because he took your place at the trial. And then the verdict was spoken over him by the Father that the sacrifice or the substitution was accepted. And so now, what does that mean? That means that what is spoken over Jesus is spoken over you because you're in Christ. He looks at you in Christ and he says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. This is why Romans tells us if you are therefore now in Christ, you're a new creation. That's why in Romans it tells us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The verdict is in. And what that means is anytime you and I are living as if our soul is empty and terribly in pain and we're rushing around comparing and boasting, you know what that means? We don't understand the verdict has been spoken. We are living as if the gospel is not true. The insecurities, the taking so seriously one's own opinion and the opinions of others and rushing around trying to earn the appropriate verdict, that in and of itself is on a fundamental level a rejection of the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that we don't believe the gospel. What I'm saying is... Let the gospel penetrate you all the more deeply. Because if you're still running around as if you have to earn your acceptance, the acceptance of the one who counts more than others, who looked at you and said you're worth more than all the gold in Fort Knox, something is wrong. 
you're not appropriating the gospel. Because when you are appropriating the gospel, again, here's what happens. You're not, you're not seeking after the honor. When it comes, you're not afraid, but you're not lusting after it either. The criticism comes and you can take it in stride because you want to improve your actions. You want to improve your life, but that is not this. You're not on trial anymore. The verdict's been spoken. And you can simply walk in the acceptance that is yours. You don't look in the mirror and cringe. You don't look in the mirror and gaze with incredible fun. It's just you. You're no longer about you. And so when you're with the people in your life, you just love them for who they are, not as a part of your resume. You just do the things that you do in service to God. And your service to other people isn't about you looking better for other people. You just serve people because they're creating God's image. And you just love God because of what it is that He's done in your life. And all of a sudden, the joy enters in because you're, you're not thinking about you. You've lost yourself in other people and you've lost yourself in the Lord. And when you do that, that's when the joy and the fullness is there. That's how you know that you're healthy because you're not thinking about you. That's the gospel. But it only comes when you know the verdict is in. I don't get down on people who don't know the verdict is in. People, of course, are going to have low self-esteem and high self-esteem. What other options are there if you don't have Jesus? You're stuck in emptiness. You're stuck in pain. And that's not exactly on you. It's the nature of the fallen human ego apart from Christ. But I'm telling you, there's a better way. Christ can come into your life and fix all of that. And if you don't want that for you, let me tell you something. Your husband or your wife or your brother, or your sister, or your neighbor. They want that for you. Let's bow forward a prayer. Lord, some of us in this room, it, it's, it, it may even be a little hard to hear because some of us, we're still trying to win the approval of that person who was important to us, that mom or that dad. And we say it doesn't matter, doesn't matter anymore, but that's not true. Um, when, there is a, when there is a hole, it has to be filled. And it has to be filled with something solid that will never leave nor forsake. And that solidness is the very glorious, weighty presence of you in the center of our lives. A glorious presence that not only fills us, but heals us. Lord, uh, every one of us were designed for you and we have tried to push you out and live in accordance with other things and there is nothing that can take your place. We were made for you. And when we receive you, everything just comes together. So Lord, I, I just want to say thank you. We all say thank you for making yourself available to us and you made yourself available to us specifically through your son who came and lived the life we should have lived but through a horrible mockery of a trial, beaten, spat upon, crown of thorns beat upon his head, stripped naked, hung for all to see. What an inglorious end to, a, to love incarnate. 
that you did that for us, that we would be liberated, that we would no longer live the rest of our lives or the rest of eternity in a courtroom of human opinion or even our own. We can be honest about our needs, our shortcomings, our failures. We can be honest about our victories and strengths. But we can do it only because the verdict is in and we are no longer on trial. Forgive us, Lord, as your people for acting as if we are on trial. Forgive us for forgetting the gospel and the core of our being. Forgive us as believers for, for not really truly believing as we should. Help us to understand and believe all the more deeply. But, Lord, if there are any here who have yet to step into a relationship with you, I pray that you would give them the sanity to do that, to simply say, God, I know I've sinned. And it's not just that I've done the wrong. It's that I thought I could cover for myself that somehow, in some way, my actions or inactions had to be all about me, like I could save myself. And I don't need to. God, I know that you have sent a Savior. His name is Jesus. He lived the life I should have lived, died the death I should have died. And I want to pray that what he did for me would be applied to my life. And my eternity would be changed, but also my very soul and my personality would be changed more and more to be like Jesus so that I don't love other people because primarily I love myself and trying to build a resume. I just love people to love people. I just serve people to serve people. God, help me to think not less of myself, but just of myself less, and then to know the joy and strength and life that comes from that. So, God, I turn from my sin and selfishness, and I turn in faith to Jesus as Savior. Lord, thank you, God, for saving me. And I look forward to knowing what it means to be in relationship with you by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.